to a podcast from The National. The day after the U.S. launched airstrikes on Syria this week, the hashtag World War III was trending on Twitter in the Arab world. The airstrikes, a joint effort by the U.S., the U.K., and France, targeted a factory believed to be the source of a Syrian regime chemical weapons attack. The Syrian president Bashar al-Assad, along with his allies, denied this. But weapons experts have been blocked from the Syrian attack site by regime forces, reinforcing claims that Assad is responsible. The situation has drawn polarizing reactions from all of those involved in the war-torn country. And with so many powers, like Russia and Iran, involved, several questions remain. Who used chemical weapons on Syrians? And in a war where so many atrocities are common, why is the use of chemical weapons the red line for the U.S.? This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasr al-Wesmi, and on this episode, we assess the situation in Syria. Lina Sinjab is the BBC's Middle East correspondent, and she joined us on the phone from Beirut. She has spent several years covering the region and provided numerous insights into the Syrian war since it began in 2011. The day after the airstrikes in Syria, the hashtag World War III was trending on Twitter in the Arab world. There seems to be a lot of moving pieces in the country with a lot of interests involved. Could you shed some light onto why that was the reaction? How did the strikes impact Russia or uh, Iran, for example? Well, before the strike, uh, there was like escalation and tension and uh, a war of wars uh, happening between the U.S. and, uh, uh, and Russia. And uh, there were real concerns on the ground that you know, if uh, if any um, targets hitting Russian bases or the government bases, or if any miscalculation that could happen, it may uh, reach a really uh, um, third world war. You know, with uh, direct confrontations with all the players that are actually working on a proxy war in Syria. But that wasn't the case. After the airstrike, we've seen that it was limited and targeted with minimum uh, effect, though this is not uh, how the coalition in the U.S. would describe it. This was targeting uh, locations where it is believed chemical weapons were developed and stored. Uh, So basically, it is sending a strong message to the Syrian government, to President Assad's government, not to use these chemical weapons again, but nothing to tell him that uh, the atrocities, the killing, the destruction of uh, Syrian um, homes and killing of people uh, should stop. It's only the use of these type of weapons uh, is prohibited. Other conventional weapons, no one has talked about. This wasn't the first time the U.S. striked Syria. They had the same reaction the last time uh, chemical weapons were used. Is this time any different? Are we likely to see a uh, different response from those powers invested in Syria? Well, this time is different because you have both France and uh, Britain joining in this coalition. So you have like really three powerful countries um, telling the Russians enough is enough uh, with Assad's violating red lines that the world has put for him. And the red line was only not to use chemical weapons. We've seen in 2013, which was the first large-scale chemical attack that took place in exactly the same area in eastern Ghouta in Douma, where over a 1,000 people were killed in one strike with using chemical weapons. Uh, uh, the U.S. was on the verge of launching airstrikes against Syria. 
but uh, with the help of Russians, with the mediation from the Russians, the, uh, the Syrian government handed over its chemical stockpile. Well, that's what they said at the, at the time, but we've seen later on that uh, they've reused it uh, again and again. Uh, so I think this is really limited to sending a message to the Syrian government not to use these, uh, these weapons again. And I think since the Russians are their strongest allies, they will probably not allow this to happen again with such confrontation. It was a strong message coming from three powerful countries uh, that they already have uh, problems with the, with the Russians. Uh, but it, I very much doubt it will take any further um, curve, uh, let's say, in, the, in changing the course of the war, because at the end of the day, uh, the ones who are in charge are well, the Russians uh, and the Iranians. You mentioned this, but chemical weapons have always been a red line for the world. The instances where they have been used has garnered international condemnation, and in other countries, it's even sparked wars. It's justified uh, launching invasions. It was used in Syria, but the question remains, why is chemical we- a chemical attack considered a red line where, you know, other forms of violence, indiscriminate bombing, mines, etc., is not? Well, this is the question that should, should be put for world leaders who, uh, who are concerned about the use of chemical weapons while not concerned of using uh, the battle bombs and the scud missiles and the cluster bombs. Uh, they're concerned about civilians being killed by... by um, by chemical weapons, but not by other conventional weapons. I mean, it's really hard to, to answer, but many Syrians look at this uh, as and describe it as hypocrisy by the world. And uh, if you talk to the Syrians on the ground who paid a high price in this war, they believe that this red line on chemical weapons only because uh, the using and having such, uh, such uh, weapons is a threat to uh, the security of Israel neighboring Syria. And uh, it's a violation for for the Western security, but has nothing to do with uh, the humanity or protect, protection of civilians, as the West is claiming at the moment. Can we see an escalation from Western powers in Syria? And if so, in what form would that be? I think the message came clear from Western powers, from the U.S., from France, from uh, from Britain, that escalation uh, uh, may take place, and that the um, the uh, the American forces are are just there watching and waiting. Uh, only if chemical weapons were used again, uh, they didn't talk about anything regarding other other type of weapons. And I don't think that, uh, well, rationally speaking, that the Syrian government will escalate and use it again, dragging an international reaction uh, uh, again on them. I think they're on the winning side now, and they want to show uh, this to the world that they are still in control. And it's hard to believe that they would um, you know, provoke another uh, reaction from the West on them. Going back to an earlier point, how important is it that uh, the U.S., France, and the U.K., it was not just a, a, a unilateral decision— how important is it that all three of them went in with these airstrikes? I think that's, that's the, the point that makes it a very uh, a clear message to uh, the Assad government and his own allies as well that this is uh, not a unilateral decision. It's a, it's a decision made by three powerful countries, three countries that were considered to be part of the Friends of Syria campaign um, and also three countries that have relations with Israel 
who also made it clear that you know uh, no chemical weapons should be owned or uh, used by uh, by any any countries in the region. So this is a really strong message coming from them. But if you look, you know, if that's if you're talking about the geo, um, you know, uh, regional uh, um, geopolitics or the international ones. But if you look at uh, the position from the Syrian people's perspective, from the opposition's perspective, it's just another proof and another uh, another uh, point where they see world hypocrisy. They see that uh, who, uh, the, the countries who call themselves friends of Syria, supporters of the opposition, uh, who told them that they will so- support them with their claim for freedom and democracy, they're only just uh, concerned about their own interests and not concerned about the protection of civilians. They're only concerned about the use of chemical weapons and not uh, not the real death and destruction of Syria. If we can change the scope to the GCC, Iran is involved in Syria. They fund Hezbollah. Is it likely that Saudi Arabia could get roped in to scale back what they refer to as Tehran's tentacles of influence, their expansion through Iraq and Syria? Well, we have to watch and see what Saudi Arabia's reaction would be. We know that they've been involved in Yemen also because of Iran. They also asked the Americans that they should stay there because, you know, uh, defeating ISIS is not, um, you know, a short-term thing. It should be a a longer term. They should stay there. They're also concerned about the expansion of the Iranians in uh, the country. Um, which also could turn into another Iraq for, for Saudi Arabia. So uh, I think also part of the decision that supported, um, you know, the, the Americans made them decide to stay and uh, launch the attack is because they have the support from Saudi Arabia and from the Gulf countries because of the Iranian uh, influence inside Syria. Um, so that's also a calculation that the U.S. has in mind. Uh, but it's really uh, hard to, to see how the Saudis at the moment would be involved directly. They also they already have troubles, you know, on their borders in Yemen. Uh, they have supported the, the Syrian opposition for long, but, you know, it didn't succeed in anything. Uh, so it's hard to see them uh, directly involved in, in another proxy war inside Syria. To talk about the humanitarian aspect of it, the news hasn't been covering the refugee crisis as much as it was last year or the years before that. Is there any update on that? Has the situation subsided? Well, you're a journalist, I'm a journalist, and we know how, uh, you know, in the newsroom, uh, uh, there is is a fatigue on Syria, there is a fatigue on... Uh, on Syrian refugees and the Syrian crisis. And, and the news is driven by also the politics of what's happening, uh, of what's happening internationally and regionally. Uh, there was a huge focus on, on the war against ISIS and the big influx of uh, refugees, uh, you know, reaching Europe in the past couple of years. But with all these borders closed, with the uh, refugee situation to some extent, uh, remaining as a status quo, uh, the interests have dropped down not only from uh, from a media perspective, but also from international organizations' perspective, that they're trying to look for other alternatives now that the balance of the war has changed and shifted. Uh, so probably the focus should go uh, now towards areas the regime is taking control of and see if there is any possibility of people returning rather than highlighting a refugee uh, story uh, outside Syria. And then looking forward, what about the peace process? What stage is that at now? Does it really exist still? I mean, that's the question that many Syrians uh, would ask if you ask them about uh, 
the peace process. The Geneva uh, peace process is almost forgotten. Uh, the Russians were trying to do, um, you know, several meetings in different uh, in different countries. The last of which was in Sochi. But really, what is it being achieved on the ground? The Americans have dropped the uh, the Syria case and handed it over to the Russians in terms of negotiations and peace talks. Uh, and the same is for the Gulf countries and Saudi Arabia. So um, it's really in the hand of the Russians now uh, to dictate what type of solution uh, would take place. The friends of Syria countries, uh, the friends of the Syrian opposition, are doing nothing to push the wheel towards a solution that would put all sides on the table. And now there are there are not no equal sides. You know, the president government, the president Assad's government are the ones who are winning the war. Why should they make concessions at the moment? What does peace look like in Syria? If you want to hear about peace in Syria, you need to ask the people who uh, paid the high price in this war. They've lost their homes, they've lost relatives, they've lost their families. They were tortured in prisons. Um, you know, they lived the trauma of the war, and for them. Uh, peace is only with with uh, with with justice, with uh, accountability, uh, with questioning, and you know holding people um, accountable for all the war crimes that happened inside inside Syria, on both sides of the conflict. Not we're not pointing fingers to one side of it. Of course, there is big responsibilities, bigger responsibilities on the government side, and uh, in comparison to the opposition. Uh, but, you know, from both sides of the conflict, I feel everyone wants justice. But will it happen? It's hard to believe it's going to happen. Uh, people are being forced to uh, go back and live in government-controlled areas under the same system, the same regime, uh, the same power that practice all atrocities on them. But uh, they are left, uh, um, left behind. They are let down by the world. They are helpless and they have no option to, to seek. I'd like to thank Lena Sinjab from the BBC. You can follow her on Twitter at BBC Lena Sinjab. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing the show. The National is online at thenational.ae, and you can follow Beyond the Headlines on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. I've been your host, Nasal Wesmi. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.